Hello, and welcome back to Now Screaming, episode 65. I'm Evan Culbertson. And I'm Liz Smart. And we're watching all the horror movies currently streaming on Netflix. So you don't have to. This week we're talking about the 1982 horror classic, Poltergeist. They're here. (laughs) So this is a movie I don't think needs a ton of introduction. I think people tend to be familiar with it. It is a classic. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're going to get into some of the the behind-the-scenes stuff in this episode, though I'm sure there are podcasts that have covered Poltergeist trivia better than we're going to. Probably. Uh, But I think we're going to go into this episode uh, assuming you as listener are... You have a passing familiarity with Poltergeist. Yes. But Liz, before we watched this for the podcast, you did not. I did not. I, I knew some things. Like, I, I uh, my mom used to say they're here all the time when I was growing up. So I actually felt like watching it, it, it was almost like a familiar thing. There was, like, there are parts of it that felt so, like, recognizable to me just because I know the pop culture stuff. Sure. And I think I'd even seen... And scenes of it before. That's the most famous, like, line from this yes, movie. I yes. think people... There are people out there who haven't seen Jaws, fools that they are, who know, like, bigger we're gonna boat, need a bigger yeah. boat, you know? Interesting that your mom would uh, say that to you. I was know. She talking she's about not a ghosts? horror movie person. What was she talking about? No, I don't even know. I think she was actually just, like... <laughs> who was here? I don't know. I think maybe she was just making fun of me as a child. <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to ask her, because I, I remember her talking about it, but I don't remember the context. She's not even a horror movie person. It's very funny. I think this is a movie that is very friendly to people who aren't otherwise invested in horror. I agree. A couple things that I would like to get out of the way up, up front. Uh, this is PG. Mm-hmm. It predates PG-13, but still, this is a pretty spooky PG movie. It is. There's There's only a couple really spooky, specifically gory parts that made me feel like, oh, this would be a lot for me as a child. Two, nobody dies in this movie. Sort of getting in front of what you're about to say. No one dies. That is nice. That doesn't happen in a ton of horror movies. And I feel like the the skeletal sort of figures are not out of the realms of like other things I would not consider horror movies. But I would consider, like, spooky movies. Mm-hmm. Like, it's similar to Beetlejuice. Right. I would agree with that. But there's some stuff that's not like that, that's, like, legitimate horror that puts this in a, in a different category than, like, a, just a fun, spooky family movie. I agree. The main thing we need to talk about in terms of the, I think, widespread understanding of this movie is that it was directed by Tobe Hooper, uh, perhaps best known for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but it was they written, could not be more different. <laughs> but it was written opinion. by Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of a controversy slash just I guess ongoing debate about who directed it more between the two of them because this was originally a Steven Spielberg idea and he was going to direct it, but Universal wouldn't let him because Why? he was working on ET because ET came out a week after this, I believe. Oh my god. That man does nothing but work. <laughs> he doesn't do anything else. He's just always working. What on earth? I, I don't understand. He was also present for like all of this, as we'll talk about a little bit later. Like He was very involved in this he movie. He didn't just write the script and go, here no, you go, have but fun. But he couldn't, he couldn't direct it like legally. Fully, yeah. So they hired Tobe Hooper, known for much more intense horror. And there are varying accounts about who did most of the directing. I think that at this point... People who were on set tend to agree that Tobe Hooper did the directing work of setting mm-hmm. up actors and calling cut and 
generally running the day-to-day operations. Being present with editing? Like, who... Yeah, but Steven Spielberg, this is very much his movie. And it kind of shows. Oh, it does. It feels like a Spielberg movie. Because it has that, like, simultaneous timelessness and time capsuleness. Yes. It's... For me, and like we we've talked on this podcast before, I am not always great about horror movies of the past. Yeah, like I tend to the, the suspension of disbelief is more difficult for me. Right. Uh, there's like the effects. I sometimes just can't get behind them. Um, and this is very much a like 1982 movie. There's so much about it that's 1982, yeah. so specifically. But I loved it. Yeah. So like. That's so Spielberg because so many of his movies are the exact same way. Like you could say, "Oh, quality. this is definitely the '70s, the '80s, the '90s," but you can watch them constantly, forever. They will continue on into the future. I agree. The thing I find interesting about Spielberg's involvement is that he's not really a horror director. Jaws mm-hmm. obviously is. We talked about it as a horror movie, but there are a lot of people who don't. Who probably yeah, probably would think of it that way. Uh, I guess Close Encounters of the Third Kind is kind of a horror movie. Mm-hmm. But that's he's not a horror director. No, and, and it's the same. It it shows the same way because this is inherently about a family. Yes, it's very much about suburbia and these this, the characters who are this family and development. Oh yes, there's real a, estate. You know, being kind of a there's a firm anti capitalist message in here too. Yeah, oh yes, of course. <laughs> uh, so this is I think that. The way that I want to think about it is as a Tobe Hooper-Spielberg collaboration. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that maybe the needle has moved a bit too far the other way in the pop culture consciousness that people tend to just, like, credit Spielberg because I think everyone knows who Spielberg is and Tobe Hooper isn't household name in the same way. A bit more of a niche, yeah. Uh, But I want to make sure that both of them get their due because it... Mm -hmm. Definitely feels more like a Spielberg movie, but I think that's because Tobe Hooper doesn't have the same kind of defined aesthetic. Right. And I feel like, I do feel like Tobe Hooper is known more for Texas Chainsaw because it like was his movie. I had no idea when his name showed up on screen. I was like, wait, why didn't anybody, when he died, no one was talking about Poltergeist. No. Which is so interesting because I prefer this to Texas Chainsaw. Interesting. I disagree, but that's a separate conversation. It's a separate conversation. It's just what I think we prefer in horror movies. The other thing that I want to talk about about this is that it, this was a hit. You know, a lot of the classic horror movies you talk about here were cult classics. They have come to be appreciated over time. Mm-hmm. Nah, this was a smash. Yeah. Everyone went and saw this, and then the next week they went and saw E.T. And so, like, <laughs> Spielberg had a real good summer. Yeah. I'm sure every summer for Spielberg is real good. Probably, yeah. You a little bit alluded to it earlier, and I feel like I'm monologuing a lot, but we should also say that I think both of us loved this experience of watching this movie. Yeah. Did you feel like you were enjoying it, like, watching it? through me for the first time. Absolutely. I mean, it's a movie I've seen, you know, several times. I was texting with a friend of the podcast, James Skosky, about it. Mm-hmm. And both of us agreed that it's not one that we think about that often, but the the actual minute to minute of watching this movie, even in 2019, I'm just sitting there thinking, holy shit, this movie rules. It's amazing. It's so well paced. It's like really funny. And also... I think pretty scary. Like, I think even minute one, literally when Carol Ann comes down the stairs and starts talking to the TV. To the television. And she's just going, five, yes, yes, is like, holy shit, stop right. talking to the TV, Carol so this is It's gonna, so scary. Most of my commentary that I have in this episode is, holy shit, this is so good. Ugh. But let's start with it. That's so fucking good. It's so good. Well, she's answering questions that we don't know, and mm-hmm. that, the fact that we don't know with who she's having a conversation or what, what it's asking what her. they're asking her is 
so much we're scarier. We're with her family. Yeah. They're just standing there going like, should we, yeah. what do we, what do we do? Like, should we, why is this child, yeah. what's happening here? And it's just, can I reach through my screen and like help her? Like, like yeah. Like, uh, should we call the police? Should we get like her help? Like, what do we do here? And I think that's like, everybody progresses really realistically. Like, I think maybe in a different movie, they would have like run her to a child psychologist, but this all, it all happens so quickly yeah. that there's just this feeling. And then there's also is this scene later where she's talking to the TV when they're, they're asleep? All asleep? Yeah. yeah. And I think that, that that is also just done so well. Mm-hmm. It parallels this, obviously. I mean, Carol Ann is so good. She's so good. She's, she's a great incredible. little child actress. She's off screen for a big portion of this movie because mm-hmm. she gets sucked into the But even her like calling calling to her parents is really good. Uh there's also like it's it's so well done because in so many horror movies you find yourself being like, just leave the house, like take yeah. take the L and get out of there. But they can't because they will lose Carol Ann. And so that's such a well written thing to yeah. do that, to be like, you can't leave. It's not just about money, which it often like in Amityville, that's the whole thing. Sure. We sunk our whole savings into this house. It's like, no, no, we cannot leave our daughter trapped in this closet. And it's an incredible way to establish the stakes, mm-hmm. right? Like, that, like there's a reason this family stays. There's a point at which they send the children away, which, which I, I also great, wrote down, yeah. like, I really appreciate them doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, w- like, intentionally cutting down the cast in order mm-hmm. to focus on, like, a more realistic, and like, what, yes, the parents handling this problem. What parents would do, absolutely, in that situation. Absolutely. They're, it's so tempting to just be like, no, let's keep everybody in the same house because then the drama will be up because the kids are still there. And it's like, no, no, they have grandparents. <laughs> they can go stay there. No parent want to keep their kid in the house. I specifically think the way that the um, the parents uh, react in this, their names are Stephen and Diane, but Craig T. Nelson and Joe Beth Williams, mm-hmm. I think is is so not just realistic because it is that, but also like refreshingly different. This mm-hmm. is again. We're just going to lump praise on this movie. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. If, if you don't like Poltergeist, this is not your episode <laughs> for you. Um, I spent a lot of time watching this movie, thinking about how it being from 1982, and we watched so many horror movies that come out even more recently, mm-hmm. and the ways in which this serves as uh, a trope establisher for a lot of horror, but also mm-hmm. the ways in which it is doing things different than the trope has developed, right? That, like, you'd expect something to go a certain way or for characters to react a certain way. And in Poltergeist, they don't. Right. Even though the last 30-plus years of horror movies, like, have people reacting that way. Yeah, it's very interesting. The thing that specifically comes to mind is when the first, like, really paranormal thing we see on screen, which is um, Joe Beth Williams is in the kitchen and the chairs rearrange themselves. Mm-hmm. First they're pulled out and then they rearrange themselves. Great shot. We could have a whole conversation about I that w- too. I want to. When Craig T. Nelson gets home, um, his wife and Carol Ann have like set up this like experiment thing in their kitchen, mm-hmm. right? She is like, holy shit, what is this? Yeah. And reacts with like... Glee. Glee. Yeah. Yeah. Excitement. And that is not how the character reacts in most horror movies. No. But it feels... It's not probably not how I would react, but it feels like true to that character. You might, because there's nothing malicious yet. It's just when you put a chair here, it here, gets pulled to it the wall. Moves. And so then it's like, oh, put Carol Ann in her little helmet, send her across the floor. Like it's, 
it's exciting. It's fun. Sure, but when when Craig Nutelsi gets home, he's like, okay, this is <laughs> what, do what I is do happening here? here. And they're, they, I mean, they also do a great job of setting up these characters even before that. Yeah. Like, I bought them as a married couple completely. They're very cute. Great they're marriage. very fun. Wonderful. Uh, and he is the pragmatic, realistic one. Yeah. Like, they set that up very quickly that she, like, when he comes in, she's like, I know, I know, I know. You're yeah. going to want to come up with reasons for this. I already can see the wheels of your brain spinning, but just, like, don't worry Roll about it. it. Roll with it. And, like, the fact that that's character work that's already been done that I believe that the movie is doing is, like, so great. It's just, it works so well. Absolutely. <sighs> The TV remote bit, a little, like, before that. We're oh jumping, we're, okay, yes. we're going to jump around again. I feel like I'm doing a lot of hedging, but, like... No, no, it's fine. We're... The TV remote bit, which is that the, um, because this is a minor moment that people might remember, they share, like, a frequency. The t- Their TV and the neighbor's TV are, like, on the same frequency. So whenever so one remotes, of them uses yeah. the remote, they, like, fuck with the other. And there's this scene that's probably a little too long of, like, the... Craig T. Nelson's like friends trying to watch football and it keeps going over to Mr. Rogers and there's like a long scene with the neighbor like they're having a kind of they're a standoff clicking off yeah it is so one it's so Spielberg two it's so like quintessential suburban slice of life yes that it's like that here's this ridiculous situation that has like kind of like yep. escalated and it's just like again a lesser movie I, I don't even want to say lesser movie I think on this podcast, both of us appreciate a lean movie that gets to its point yeah. and knows how to use its runtime mm-hmm. sparingly. This knows that that scene adds value. Yes, it does well, not feel like padding. It feels like character. The other side of that, right, like, which is a tight yeah. hour and a half movie, is that you end up with these like characters who are nothing but a trope, who we cannot identify with, who we cannot empathize with who we don't worry about we are not sad about them right dying or losing children or whatever because we don't know them and that was a perfect scene to set up characters and space and time i mean like i said it's the 1982 time capsule like that's why that's why it continues to work i think that it even establishes time in 1982 for 1982 audiences right yes of like you know when you're trying to watch tv and you know whatever happens but it also sets up the idea of like all these building developments and that being such yes. a thing at the 80s. It's all there. It, it all impacts itself in a way that I just love. You know what's also different about it? What? I think I've said this about specifically the movie Hereditary, that I feel like it's so different about very specific horror movies. And every time it happens, I'm like, oh, God, thank you. I love this. Is It's so often in a horror movie that something... Um, supernatural will start to happen, something yes. scary. And then someone's like, oh, oh my God, come come over here and look at it. And then it doesn't happen. Right. Or like they see a body and they're like, come over here and look at the body. And then there's no body and they, yes. just look, and they just look crazy and it sucks so much. And like that trope isn't inherently bad because it it's meant to be frustrating and it is frustrating. It's meant to prolong the idea of like, maybe maybe then that person does think they're imagining it. But let me tell you, there is nothing more satisfying in this world to me than people being like, watch this, and it still happens, yep. and it doesn't lower the stakes. Agreed. It doesn't make the movie any less like impactful. It just puts the characters on the same page, yes. and that allows it to move forward together. Together. Without bickering about whether or not what, something what's is happening. What's real. Or, yeah, it's, oh my god, it happens with the neighbors, too, later, yeah. where she asks the neighbors for help, and I was like, oh my god, is this going to be some sort of, like, she looks crazy? No. Her house is messed up, and everybody knows it, and it is not 
I mean, like, <laughs> the impacts of this movie, you, you, we don't ever see them happen, but right. you have to imagine that it's ma- magnificent because an entire block of people watches it, like, crumple into nothing. Yeah. So, like, it is real in this movie. Nobody's trying to cover up this paranormal shit. Like, it Absolutely. happened. And there's something really and there are, interesting about that. And there are that. experts that they can go to who come in and, like... The, yeah, the refreshing thing about this is that everyone is taking each other at their word and mm-hmm. like at face value. Yeah, we have different a types of, of experts. There's a little bit of like, hmm, let's see if they're telling the truth, but they very quickly get on board. Yeah, the experts and they like take and they take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Like, and they're with them till the end. They are, and I think that is also important. The that, relationship um, between the paranormal investigators and the family also is like beautiful to me. But the fact that they bring in the paranormal investigators, I don't remember their name, but like the doctor and, and her two assistants, mm-hmm. and then when they bring in Zelda Rubinstein, the medium mm-hmm. later, like the parapsychologist people are like still involved. They're still invested in helping solve this problem. Yeah, and so they're enlisted to do what Zelda Rubinstein wants them to do. I also remember her character's name. Me neither. Uh, but I think the doctor specifically really cares about them as a family. I agree. Too. Like it's really beautiful to watch. It's like she has a really long monologue talking about like her explanation of what's going on. Mm-hmm. We can talk about everything in this movie, mm-hmm. which she delivers in like mostly a whisper. Yeah, because it's nighttime. It just feels sleeping. so real. It feels like it's a intimate, real, yeah. like intimate. Intimate is the perfect word for it's it. It's a very intimate movie. That like these characters feel so real, and they feel. Like, they genuinely care about each other a lot. They do. <laughs> they do. It's it's great. I mean, like, and I did, too, because hearing Diane, like, cry for Carol Ann, it's yeah. so easy to manufacture mom-child feelings. It's yes. just easy. But real mom-child feelings where she's like, can you say hello to daddy? And Carol Ann goes, hi, daddy, is just like the most heartbreaking thing I've ever experienced. Like, it is real. I totally bought in 100% completely. God, I love this freaking movie. How did I go so long in my life without seeing it? I don't know. I also actually, sorry, real quick, I will say, I think that I am seeing this at the right time in my life. Yeah? Because I think if I'd watched it, God, even probably five years ago, I would have dismissed it on the principle of like I don't like old horror movies yeah you know just being like that that age where you think you know everything about yourself and your interests and your likes I mean I feel like specifically it's been weirder getting older that I have welcomed so many things into my orbit that I would have so easily dismissed five years ago yeah and so I'm actually so happy that I saw this at this time you're in the right place to see it and I really got to experience it for the first time with this like really open mind and heart that like if I'd seen it when I was 17 or 18, I would have been like, whatever. And then maybe that would have clouded my experience or my yeah. entire life. I'm glad it didn't. I'm glad it didn't, too. Speaking of having seen this for the first time, let's talk about the first big climactic moment, which is the night that a tree outside of the window comes <laughs> to life and... Scoops up little baby boy. Grabs the brother. And uh, Carol Ann's closet flies open, emanating a um, bright white light and sucks all of her toys and then all of her furniture and then eventually Carol Ann into the closet. Mm-hmm. Did you know that was going to happen? So you're sitting there watching Carol Ann clinging for dear life to oh, her, no. to her headboard to avoid being sucked in. Did you know she gets sucked in and then nope. disappears for sure. a nope. big part of the movie? No. Like I, I think the only things I knew going into this movie were the like TV classic kind of her with the hands on the TV saying they're here. And then when Zelda Rubenstein came out, I was like, I've heard 
her voice before, yeah. which maybe I'd seen it parodied. It's possible I'd seen it also parodied possible. in some kind of situation. Um, but I wonder if I'd seen that scene or something like that. That was all. But I didn't I didn't know any plot details at all. So what did you think of that? What did you think of this little girl? Because they play the moment for enough tension. They rescue her brother, mm-hmm. whose name I also don't remember. I don't remember anyone's name except for Diane. Is it Robbie? Yes. They rescue Robbie from the tree, and Caroline is being sucked into this thing, and like they, they hold out long enough that you could think, okay, so she's going to be saved too. Mm-hmm. And she's just not. And then they go into the closet, and they pull away all the stuff that's been sucked in the closet, and there's uh, a... a body shape with a oh sheet over God. it and they're like you see them the horror you see them like prepare sci- like, yeah. prepare to see their daughter's yeah. dead body uh like they they take they take a moment to process it mm-hmm. and then of course it's a clown doll mm-hmm. it's not her that she's nowhere to be found doll. what do you think what like how did you how did you react to this what i think is a genuine twist if you actually didn't know it was coming yeah i don't know I kind of just rolled with it. Yeah. I was like, I guess she's gone. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know how we're going to get out of this. And again, like, they can't leave. They can't do anything except stay there. Yeah. And it sort of almost feels like a little, what's really, they almost skip, not, I won't say the most interesting part of the movie, but there's a really interesting time jump from that moment to when the paranormal investigators come in, yes. where they have been practicing, studying moving things around to try to get the best signal to speak to Carol Ann, yes. which is fascinating. I agree. That they didn't just like, I don't know, some dumb people in horror movies are like, call the police. And like, this family is very interesting and smart and funny in that they're like, okay, Carol Ann is trapped in the house. We all, we're all, we're all there. <laughs> yeah. Brain wise, we're all on the same page. Carol Ann's trapped in this house. Well, I don't know if Dana is. Dana doesn't seem to care. She's a, I, I don't know why she was a character, genuinely. They want to send her away every time that it seems I think, to matter. I think, to to me, the character exists, this is the older sister, um, she is just the teenage daughter of the family who, as a teenager, doesn't want anything to do with what her family's doing. No, and it's it's different from Robbie and Carol Ann to an extent, but like really different from Robbie in that like when they send Robbie away, it has to be very deliberate and like... Yeah. We are sending him and the dog to be with... Ebas. Ebas. Why is that his name? I know you said you're going to discuss it later. Um, they When they send Robbie away, it's very deliberate. They've sent him to a grandparent. It's like they put him in the taxi. It's, it has to be very like specific. Whereas it's like your teenage daughter, they already have a life. She's already yeah. gone. Like she's got a boyfriend. She's got uh, friends. Like she, there's a world in which she could like come home and be like, oh, where'd my family go? Like, yep. where's Carol Ann? You know, she is there for that That night. almost happens. But it almost happens. Like, she almost misses the climactic yeah. scene of her family's near death. So, like, I don't know if that was a commentary on teenagedom in that time period. I think it's part of... Because there's a world in which it's that, but, like, I don't... I think it it's just part of trying to, like, flesh out this suburbia. Yeah. And she right. is one of the funniest characters in the beginning. Sure. Yeah. I agree. She has a great scene with some construction workers who were hitting on her. Would, uh, would not be in a movie in 2019. No. Oh, much. my God, no. Uh, Ebuzz is a reference to a Dan Aykroyd character on Saturday Night Live. Oh, really? Uh, apparently, Dan Aykroyd and Spielberg were like... What's Is the buddies. character's name Ebuzz? Ebuzz Miller. He's an art critic. Ebuzz Miller. That's really funny. 
It's pretty obscure, but... It's very obscure, but it means that the idea is that this family watches SNL together I and guess. all really like the E-Buzz character Apparently. and then got a Golden Retriever puppy and were like, that's E-Buzz. He's an art critic. I guess, yeah. Because <laughs> it's not referenced, which I feel like is actually unusual. They don't explain it, yeah. That's so funny. I wanted to talk about the... Um, there's a lot of places we can jump here. Mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about the closet effect the thing mm-hmm. that happens with the closet um both when stuff is getting sucked into it because i think that that's one that's all practical and that's very cool, really cool. it feels very visceral things are mm-hmm. slamming into the walls they hit it later when they are doing the i guess the rescue sequence i don't know what to call it um when the closet is emanating sort of a blue a shimmery light, which was mm-hmm. created by uh, a fish tank, by the way. It's like a reflection nice. of a fish tank. Nice. Oh my god. Um, and they pass through it. I think that that special effect, that visual effect, aged incredibly well. Mm-hmm. There's some stuff here that feels a little more dated. Specifically, I'm thinking of the um, the goriest scene in the movie, which is the uh, one of the research assistants. Yeah, pulling his like face apart, like yeah, gorily. Yeah, looks like. Uh, reanimator. It oh, looks like something like it's that. It's actually you know? very funny because it's like the guy's looking into the mirror and he's sort of touching his face like it's bleeding. It's like, oh, what, what's wrong with my face? And then it cuts away and then when it cuts back, his face has so obviously transformed into a rubber mask. That yes. It's like, it's near laughable. And that was, I think, just an unfortunate... It did take me out of it, but it was like the sure. one time in the movie. Yeah. I think that the ghostly, spectral hands and big crawling skeleton are also slightly... Well, dated. It does to some extent. I think it looks, I liked it. I like yeah. the design, but it is it dates it. It dates it. I think that the closet effect specifically, I think, works really, really well. I think it does too. And the clown does too. When the clown comes to life, it it. I mean, oh yeah, because it's a, it's not CGI. It's a puppet. Yeah, they're just it wrapping looks it around his neck. Yeah, scary as shit. Oh my god, that terrified me. When he goes under the bed to yeah. look, and it's not there. They got me. The camera work in this is also incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, again, we're just jumping all around. Uh when Robbie is attacked by the clown and the camera's moving to check under the bed and then to look over here. Uh-huh. It is so, so well done to build tension. Again, mm-hmm. a movie I've seen quite a few times. That... And also, that's the end of the movie. The tension was already built and then it built it that? again. I was going to mention that when we were talking about the surprise of Carol Ann, who is the face of this movie, um, being sucked into the ghost dimension. Yeah, we don't see her for a long time. Uh, this movie has a false ending. They save sure Carol Ann and everything seems fine, right? Moms can take baths again. <sighs> And I knew it because when when um, Zelda Rubenstein is like, this house is clean. And I'm like, you didn't do anything. It's still there. You just got Carol Ann out, but we, you didn't banish it. Yeah. You didn't like close the portal. Smug, this house is clean is so weird. I'm like, you didn't do anything. But I thought the movie was just going to ignore that. I underestimated this movie's intelligence. Yeah. I was like, I guess this movie's just dumb and it didn't realize it didn't close the portal. Joke's on me. This movie's great. It knew. You know what else is good about this movie? What? That's why I'm going to start 17 sentences in a row. I can't wait. Uh, the ancient Indian burial ground trope is a very tired trope. Yes. Kind of a racist trope. It's a very racist trope. Uh, it's, was, it's, the Amity, it's the Amityville horror. It is yeah. from the Amityville horror. Yeah. The book is apparently what started people making a million ancient Indian burial ground mm-hmm. uh, like explanations for the shit that happened in the horror movies, uh-huh. specifically haunting movies. It's I easy. Think it's that, so lazy. I think people think that this movie is about like native lands. I thought that. And 
it's explicitly not. They yeah. have a conversation about how it's not. It's just a it's cemetery. It's just buried on top of a cemetery. Yeah. You just moved the headstones. Yeah. <laughs> you I didn't move the bodies. Uh, this movie deserves credit for that. It does. Like, by 1982, by 1982, already, like, wanting to, to point out that trope and be like, it's not that, I think is very ahead of its time. I agree. And... You don't. Ha- it doesn't have to be Native American. Could just be spirits, just yeah. of people. It's so good. It doesn't it's need so to be smart. mystic. Yeah. It's so smart. And I like when, in the sort of, I guess it's the third act, the post Carolan being back, um, horror that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like the skeletons popping up. I think they look really good and they're genuinely very scary in a way that the ghost stuff like is very different aesthetically. Isn't that because they're real though? Apparently they're real skeletons. I don't like that. According to Joe Beth Williams, uh, she said that they were real skeletons. Another anecdote. So there's a film in a, I'm just going to tell you what Joe Beth Williams says. Um, She's in a muddy swimming pool. Uh, and she was afraid because she's like, listen, you have all these cameras, you have all these lights. Like, if something drops in here, like, I'm worried about my safety. I'm dead, yeah. And apparently Steven Spielberg climbed into the pool with her and I was like, well, if something happens, then we both fry. So. Oh. Stevie. The fact that Steven Spielberg. Joe Hooper was like, I will not be coming down there. No. Uh. There's a lot of stories, again, I don't want this to be just Poltergeist trivia, there's a lot of stories about Spielberg like, being very, uh, like, giving like that on set. Apparently the scene where um, the actress who plays Carol Ann was having to hold on to the headboard to, when her, the toys and the stuff is getting sucked into the closet, mm-hmm. she was really, really scared by that. That's like the one thing that really, really bothered her. So interesting. And apparently after they shot it, like, uh, Stevie Spielberg's sat her down and was like, I'm really sorry, we won't have to do that again. It's okay. Like we, we got. This what, is yeah. why it feels like Steven Spielberg's movie. Where was Tobu? I don't know. <laughs> setting up, else. setting up the shot. Yeah. Is this a good transition into um, you telling me about the lore? Do you, the the curse. Yeah. We can talk about the curse. I want to know the curse. I've already. I already. I want to say. I already knew this stuff. I've read about it before, um, but I forget all of it. So I want you to tell me the lore again. Remind me. So. I want to preface this with the fact that this is very sad and it's about death. And so it's real sad. It made me sad researching and remembering it. Mm-hmm. So the reason people think this movie is cursed is because, well, first, uh, Dominique Dunn, who plays Dana, was strangled to death by her ex-boyfriend um, like in November 82, like, a, like three or four months after this movie came out. There's a whole fucked up history of that, which is... That he only served three years for killing her. Holy shit. Um, despite having a history of, like, violent, being violent towards his, like, ex-girlfriends, uh, the judge was, like, extremely lenient on him. And uh, Dominique's dad, Dominic, Dominic Dunn... Um, oh, she named after him? Spent the rest of his life, like, trying to ruin... Did I mention his name? No. His name is John Sweeney. Uh, trying to ruin his life and being like, he would apparently, John Sweeney went on after leaving prison to be a chef, which is what he wanted to do was be a chef. Mm. Um, He probably had a semi-successful career, except that Dominic Dunn would go and like hand out flyers saying like, your food was made by the hands that killed my daughter. Oh my Um, God. 
And like he moved to the or John Sweeney moved to the Pacific Northwest and changed his name and uh Dominic hired a private investigator to like go after him. Shit. Uh so like kudos to him. Uh John Sweeney is still alive, is like working at a retirement a home. Name. Yeah. Uh John Mara, I believe is his name. Very sad. Yeah, yeah. She's twenty two. She was killed. That gets into some other shit. Yeah. Bad. Her brother is Griffin Dunn, the actor, who is probably best known for being the friend uh, who dies in um, American Werewolf in London. The one who keeps oh, coming to talk to him. The that is her brother. Yeah. Oh my gosh. What a fun connection. Uh, so that's sad. That's Very sad. sad as fuck. Very sad, yes. Um, Heather O'Rourke, who plays Carol Ann, died six years later mm-hmm. um, at the age of 12. Oh. Uh, from a heart attack slash septic shock from an undiagnosed uh, illness. Uh, you know what illness? Congenital stenosis of the intestine. Yikes. Yeah. Uh, she is in, Carol Ann is in Poltergeist 2 and 3. Um, Were they made in the next six years? Yes. Oh. Well, I think 3 was released after she died, but mm, like she's she in made it. it. Yeah. And that's horrible, and thinking about it makes me very sad, so we cannot talk about a 12-year-old dying. Mm-hmm. Um, if we can help it. Uh, but that is why people consider this movie to be cursed. The 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 two daughters of this family, the actresses, yeah. both died within... Six years. Yeah, six years of this. It's very sad because no characters die in this movie. Yeah. Uh, and yet, the people did. Um, so that's a bummer. That is sad. That makes me love me like, this is what I was thinking of when they use real skeletons. It's ironic for a movie that is about... It, it would be ironic. I won't say that they definitely did because it seems fairly unconfirmed. It's just hearsay. But it seems ironic for a movie about the idea of disrespecting bodies Yes. to then do that. I agree. Doesn't that seem odd? It doesn't seem odd. It seems a bit on the nose. You're saying that people have hyped it in order to hype the movie? A little bit. Interesting. Well, first of all, this movie doesn't need hype. Everyone knows this movie. No, 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 no. And I mean, I, I, it, if it was six years later, nobody was hyping it. But like, it has been exaggerated in pop culture to make the movie have more relevance. Yeah, I guess. It doesn't need it. It definitely doesn't need it. I don't think it has the notoriety that The Exorcist Curse has, which was like a bunch of shit happened oh, on set. Oh, uh, Which is also so what people say about Macbeth. Funny it's like the same thing. because these two... I would consider those two movies very similar to each other. Like, The Exorcist and Poltergeist are movies... I think I actually asked you this when we were going to watch it. Like, I obviously know the stories about The Exorcist and how people, like, fainted and passed yeah, yeah. out in the theaters and how, like, it was traumatizing for so many people but I didn't know if that was also true of Poltergeist. Like, did, were no, people very people scared? Loved it. I mean, were they people scared? were scared. People were scared. People were scared. People still think this movie is scary, but I think people loved this. This was more of a crowd pleaser. You know, I, I think people loved The Exorcist, though. They did, but The Exorcist fucked people up. Yeah. This movie that doesn't have swearing and in which nobody dies and in which the family and the dog rally together at the end. Sure, yeah. As like their house is they drive away into the sunset and the last the last thing in the movie is a joke. Yes. It ends on a gag, which is. For those who don't know, uh, they go check into a motel after this ordeal. No one is talking. They're just walking. Yeah. Like, literally, Diane is only wearing, like, a jersey that she went to bed in. Yeah. Like. 
and they uh, they go get the TV, which is on like a little wheelie cart from the motel, and he pushes it out into the on the balcony in the rain and just leaves it and, out there and closes the door. So it's a very it's a good gag. It makes a lot of sense. But that's I think people the fu- walk that's out the of this fun feeling of this good. Movie. Yeah. Like I think, and I think you're supposed to. I walk out of this movie feeling good. Yeah. Uh, when we watched two it this days week ago, for the podcast. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I think this is just a beloved movie, and I think that watching it now, just to sort of wrap up, like mm-hmm. really rightfully so, this movie is a classic for a reason, and I think has aged a lot better than most classics, honestly. Mm-hmm. I think it has, too. I I well, I mean, I, I like The Exorcist, but I don't think a lot of it lives up. Or not lives up. Ages well. Yeah. I think that it comes across, maybe just because it's been... Exorcist is also a decade before this, in all True, fairness. true, but... You it... don't like 70s movies at all. You think they're all bad, but with the exception of That's Jaws. That's true. <laughs> uh, you only like Jaws from that decade. I love Jaws. It's because there's very little... Um, horror effects in Jaws. It's just gore. It has perhaps the most famous horror effect of all time, which is the mechanical shark. Right, but it's mechanical. He's a machine. He's a big shark machine that I love. <laughs> but it's not like The Exorcist where she's spitting pea soup. Sure. No, you know, that's, that is, I think, the part that bothers me the most is that gore... You also te- hate Texas Chainsaw. Apparently. I hate I hate gore. I, There's I, no okay, gore I don't in Texas hate Texas Chainsaw. She's covered in blood. Okay, it's not a gory movie. It's not a gory movie. It's less gory than I expected when it's called Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But like, I don't like gore. I don't like um, it's all, it's, it's not like even jazz. gore. But it's all about the the blood you don't show. I don't like gross stuff. And like, I think The Exorcist has more gross stuff than other horror movies and I think that like the it's a only part movie, yes. of Poltergeist that I don't like is the gross part sure there's also maggots and those are gross like for a second in the same scene yeah so basically scene. I would just cut that scene out of the movie I wouldn't cut it it makes me upset because I don't like um bugs bugs but like it and plus I even think it doesn't bother me when they come out of the portal and shoot they're covered in that pink stuff Sure, that's the Suzy Gore. I think that's more... It's gross. That's the sci-fi origin. So this... I yeah. I meant to say this up front, but this was like originally conceived as a sci-fi movie and not mm. about ghosts. It was mm-hmm. going to be about aliens. And then Tobe Hooper's the one who was like, actually... What if ghosts? Let's make ghosts mm-hmm. instead. Love it. Um, and I think that feels a little bit like the sci-fi lingering. Is yes. the like the, the mucus that they're covered in? Mm-hmm. Like if they're yeah. like in a, this, other, this other ethereal plane. I have a question for you. What's up? Why is it called poltergeist? They specifically have a long conversation about how a poltergeist is tied to a person and a haunting is tied to a place. And they're like, we think this is a poltergeist because you guys never had any problems before. This is probably not your house. It's probably attached to one of you. But then the fact that they're buried over this very specific plot of skeletons makes it feel very like just a standard haunting. So I think that they are... It is tied to Carol Ann. But she didn't... Carol Ann talking to them is what allows them to end up crossing over. The other mm. houses in this neighborhood are not having this problem. And the other houses are also buried on a cemetery. Yeah. It is their house. I don't know why Carol Ann is this conduit for them. Yeah. But that is my guess. Is that dealt into in Poltergeist 2 and 3? <laughs> it might be. Yeah. Those are movies that she's I got seen. like a... A Shining. Affinity of The Shining, yes. Um... I agree that by this movie's stated definition and the many conversations they have about the supernatural, a haunting <laughs> makes sense. But it is connected to Carol Ann. I get, yeah, also, no, that's a good answer. The Poltergeist, Poltergeist is a very good title. Right. Rather than haunting. Right. 
<laughs> See, if you have a movie called Haunting, you have to add in Connecticut to it. Or right, or like of that. Hill House. Exactly. Uh, no, this is just Poltergeist. It's a good title. It's a great title, and I, I, I actually accept your answer. Yeah. Because it, with haunting movies, there is a question of... If this is addressed in future Poltergeist sequels, please tweet let us me know. and let us know, because I, I don't know. know. Should, I, should we watch Poltergeist 2 and 3? I would like to know. No, but should I just watch them in general? When I think of a poltergeist, I think of um, paranormal activity. Oh, yes. Because that is the specific thing that it has been attached to her since she was a child. You don't think of Peavis? Peavis the poltergeist? Yes. I guess, but that's, again, not... That's a different definition of a poltergeist. That's like a, a complete physical personified character. It's because ghosts are like active participants in the Harry Potter world. Yes, and he's not a ghost. He's a poltergeist. He likes to play pranks. Why are you doing a jerk-off motion? He's not a ghost. He's a poltergeist. You don't like Peeves? Poltergeist. One, no. Peeves is a great character. You're missing out. Two. He's great. Poltergeists are a subset of ghosts. Just in real- Are you saying in reality? Yes, in reality. You believe in poltergeists? Are we going to have the do you believe in ghosts conversation right now on air? Do you believe in no. ghosts? No. Uh, do you believe in ghosts? Kind tell of. Me, tell me. A little bit. Ooh. A little bit. Controversial. Just a little bit. Just a I little don't bit. believe in them at all. Good I want you. to. I actually genuinely want. I you wish. You can believe in whatever you want to believe in. I want. That's their, America, baby. I want ghosts to be real so badly, but I don't have any proof. So. I kind of believe because I want to believe. That's fun. I, I think I could get on that road if there was any, if I had an experience myself or if I had any kind of like video proof that I could be like, that's a ghost. I've only had one ghost experience, and it's mostly a joke. Please watch Poltergeist. Yeah, do it. It's on Netflix. If you're a weenie, it's not that scary. No. If you're a horror hound and you've seen it, watch it again. Yeah. It's very, very good. Can I say one more thing? What is your one more thing? My one more thing is that there's a movie that I've talked about on this podcast in the first episode and many times since... Paranormal activity. No, it's called The Sixth Sense. Oh, I've heard of it. Uh, and it's my one of my favorite horror movies. It's the horror movie that got me started on horror movies. M. Night Shyamalan's M. Night, classic. We don't talk about it, but it's fine. <laughs> it's his only good movie. We need to talk about M. Night. Uh, um, it's my favorite movie ever. And uh, it was amazing to me how much it was clearly influenced by Poltergeist. Yeah. There's a scene in The Sixth Sense that you alluded to earlier, the one in Poltergeist, where... Um, Tony Collette's character walks out of a completely normal looking kitchen, walks into the laundry room to get a new tie for Haley Joel Osment, and it's one shot, just the same as yep. it is in Poltergeist, walks back in, and all of the cabinets are open. And she like, and she does a little like, ah, because it's scary. And the it's like scene, shot for shot, the scene yeah. from Poltergeist, where she goes to get, what does she go to get from the she kitchen? She gets them out of the cabinet. Gets them out of the cabinet, comes back, and all the chairs are stacked on top of the kitchen table. Which, by the way, very impressive for uh, 1982, because it is one continuous shot, yeah. and it's actually chairs, which means that the camera they cuts away. They them. And they fucking traded those out for a stack. Oh my god. Yeah, it's, so it's great. It's really good. And it actually works. It doesn't make me not like the scene in The Sixth Sense. It makes me like it more that it is... An homage. It's an homage. And... The the exact same thing because there is a very hey, there's a very specific scene. It's the one, uh, the one you also alluded to earlier, where they're having a really intense conversation about the paranormal. Um, the doctor and Diane while her son and is Robbie, sleeping. Yeah. Um, and she says she says something very specific like sometimes the dead they don't realize that they're dead. They like to go on living, which is literally exactly what Haley Joel Osment says to Bruce Willis when he's explaining why he sees dead people. He's like some. They don't know that they're dead. 
They just yeah. walk around living their lives, which of course leads to the big twist of Bruce Willis. But it made me wonder, like, about M. Night Shyamalan. Like, does he love Poltergeist? Did he watch Poltergeist and go like, I gotta take that concept of dead people not knowing that they're dead and turn it into a movie? Because for me, like, that now yeah. seems like the most obvious train... Cause it's, it's cause, and now I just, I just love the sixth sense even more now because I'm like, it's got these little poltergeist handprints on it that I just love. Absolutely. Ugh, I'm so emotional. This was so good. Roulette finally gave us the good shit. I'm so happy. Are you ready to, uh, leave this buried in the ground and build a house on top of it? Ignore it, cutting corners of removing the <laughs> bodies and just going yes, on living? Of course. So, uh, Roulette has done us well, but I think we're going to skip it this time. Yeah, we're not going to push our luck. <laughs> There's a new movie out on Netflix that people are talking about, for better or for worse, called The Perfection. Mm-hmm. Starring Allison Williams as a cellist, I guess? She is. She's in the horror world now. We got her. Listen, I don't know anything about this movie. I've, only, I've seen the trailer. Other than people are talking about it. And it's on Netflix. It's a Netflix production. The trailer looks freaky. And so we're going to watch it. That's going to be our next movie. It's The Perfection. Woo! 2019. Can't wait. I love when we do new movies on the podcast. It's very you fun. You so rarely do. I think our last one was Cam, probably, last year. Yeah, which was also great. Go watch Cam. All right. <laughs> Until next time, everybody. You can check us out on our website, at nowscreaming.com. And on Twitter and Facebook, at nowscreaming. Be sure to leave us a review. Be sure to leave Poltergeist a review on... IMDb, I don't IMDb. know, whatever. Where do people? Letterboxd. That's where you can leave reviews. Yeah, go give Steven Spielberg is reading the reviews on Letterboxd for Poltergeist. I'm glad you said Steven Spielberg is, because Toe Pooper sure isn't. He probably isn't. He's like, um, my legacy is complete. He's dead. From heaven. <laughs> uh, tell your friends about the podcast. Whatever we say here, you know. You know. Spread the word. us. We should do this, another please. listener. Uh, We're so lonely. We're, We're like so Detective lonely. Pikachu. We're so lonely. We've been so lonely. My clues. <laughs> Thanks as always to Wes Craven for um, picking up the torch from from Tobe and Steven here in creating very, very well fleshed out characters who are just living in their world when they run into horror shit. Mm-hmm. And I think that is so true of the family here and it's so true of many of the best West Craven protagonists that they're they feel like real people they and do. then they come across some crazy shit and they gotta adjust. That's why we love them so much. That's why we love them. Alright. Until next time everybody. Stay spooky. Stay spooky.